Welcome to today's episode of Behind the Dish Softball with your hosts, Ashley Rowley, Shelby Babcock, and Dr. Allie Dake. If you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. And be sure to follow us on social media at Behind the Dish SB. Again, on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook at Behind the Dish SB. Hi, guys, and welcome to Behind the Dish SB. My name is Shelby Babcock, and with my co-hosts, Ashley Rowley and Dr. Allie Dake. Hello, um, everybody. A- Good morning. <laughs> we have a very special guest with us today. Um, I have been lucky enough to play softball with her and become um, very good friends with her and roommates. So I know this young lady very, very, very well. Um, I chose her to be our, you know, our um, co-host today on this um, episode of you know, at what temperature does your water boil? Um, we're going to talk about pressure and uh, stress and adversity that you go through. And um, this lady that I love so much um, came to the top of my mind when um, we were talking about this. So with further ado, I'm going to go into a bio of her, but I want to introduce her first. Um, this is Chelsea Sweetos. And Chelsea, we are so excited to have you with us today. Thanks for being Hi. with us, Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Nothing's off limits, so go for it. Oh, yes, yeah, sweet. Yay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I am going to go into her long list of um, amazing things that Chelsea does. Um, so I'm going to start with her high school career. Uh, she played at Elk Grove High School in California. She was named MVP her junior and senior seasons. Um, she earned the Golden Glove and United States Marine Corps Distinguished Athlete Award. Get it, uh, girl. She, yeah. Uh, she was named Scholar Athlete for having a 3.0 or higher throughout her high school career. Um, and she also helped her club team win the national championship in 2009 um, with the Sorcerer Softball team. So kudos to you, girl. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah, big deal. Um, then she went on to play at the University of Arizona. Oh my gosh, the University of Arizona to play softball. Um, She was a four-year starter there. Um, And she also then went to play um, for the Philippines national team uh, where she was um, team captain 2015 to 2018. Um, So awesome. I want to hear more about that later, actually. Um, And then academic wise, she double majored at the University of Arizona And then at Harvard Business School, she focused in finance, negotiation, and strategy. Um, She then went on to the Nike World headquarters where she was there for six years, um, product merchandising, sales, and brand marketing. Um, She won, which is, this is so huge, Chel, so congratulations for this. Um, She won the Do It Award winner, which award, it's only awarded to the top 50 employees out of um, 74,000 globally for Nike. So wow. huge kudos wow. to you, girl. Wow. Holy cow. Thanks. Thanks. Dang. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. On fire. Um, yeah. Um, and now her current job for Instagram, uh, strategic partnerships for creators shopping, sports, and entertainment. And now she is um, the co-founder in Players Collective, which is a boutique sports agency that focuses on representing female athletes in brand building and partnerships. Um, their mission is to inspire change, creating a level playing field for all. And they are currently representing two collegiate athletes, six Olympians, and three pro um, pros across track and field, gymnastics, and softball. So super awesome, Chelsea. Um, that was actually so fun to read and wow. just to say no. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I didn't Thank know you. we had such a legend in front of us. Yeah. I'm telling you, she's me either. <laughs> is, is that right? all? I mean, I, right? I mean, we were actually talking about this the other day about, you know, reading through players and stuff like that and just kind of going back and be like, holy crap, did I do all this? Like, it's kind of really cool to yeah, like look back and be like, yeah, see, so it's cool to be, you know, whatever. You're amazing. And we're so excited to have you. Thanks, Beth. Um, so kind of diving into, you know, our episode three here, um, at what temperature does your water boil? Um, I'm going to kind of hand off the reins to you, Chelsea. Um, and I want to kind of dive in first about the first thing that I kind of knew about you when, um, we were kind of going into college together. And that was, um, a obstacle that you went through in high school. So I'm going to kind of hand over the reins to you and, um, yeah. just let you talk about that. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you guys for having me. And thank you for the intro. 
um, you know, adversity is probably like one of my best friends, as dark as that sounds. It's the only way I've ever known how to navigate through life. Um, and it's been the biggest teacher for me personally. I mean, we, we want to talk about the traumatic brain injury, which I'm, I'm happy to, but heart, high school was a tough time across the board. So any one of these topics we can jump into is one, um, you know, I was trying to come out and be comfortable with myself as a gay woman in high school when it, you know, it was before 08 when, um, it wasn't, you know, people would come to school with shirts that say Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So that was one thing. Mm. Um, secondly, my whole life came tumbling down when my parents divorced and I was constantly thrown in the middle of it. Uh, and so nobody really teaches you that your parents don't have all the answers. You just expect that they do. So when they go through trauma and are learning and processing, like we always constantly are, and then that falls on your shoulders as a kid at 16, you then, you know, don't really know what to do with yourself. So those were the two precursors. And then um, I had this traumatic brain injury. And so what I'm going to walk you through is everything that I've been told about that day, because I still don't remember it. And neurologists even told me that I may never remember it. And so the way that it was explained to me was, um, I don't even know who we were playing, but all I know is that I was on third base and we had our number three hole hitter up. And so for the listeners, if, if you're familiar with the game of baseball or softball, that's usually one of your biggest power hitters. And so we were running this hit and run play where if we had runners on second and third, me being the runner on third, only 60 feet away from the batter, I was going to be stealing home as the, the batter was swinging. And so it just so happened that like all high school sports, you're most of the time underfunded. And that was the instance for our school. So a lot of the helmets, because of the uniformity policy that we had to follow, were these blue helmets stuck in the shed, weather damaged, old, out of date. This was before all the CTE discoveries that had been done in football players. This is before Liam Neeson's wife had passed away in that snow, uh, snow skiing or snowboarding accident. So not a lot was known about brain injuries at the time. And so... That being said, I didn't have the right protection and it just was a freak accident that when I'm running down the line, I just have a split second before that ball hits me on the right side of my temple. And it actually hit me probably like an inch away from my temple. And when you look at the, the helmet, it dented in and dented back out. So there was a halo mark right around my temple meaning all the force went into my brain and back out instead of potentially shattering the helmet and putting all those forces around the entire head. It always directly into the side of my head. It flexed and you took the blunt with your head. That's exactly it. And so what, what was so interesting is that this stuff doesn't, the side effects of a concussion or a, a head injury don't come on immediately. It, just like any other injury, it takes time for things to swell. And so I went in, I scored, and I was playing shortstop at, at the time. And so everybody, I guess, was asking me if I was okay. And I, at that point, yeah, I was totally fine. Um, and it wasn't until later that I had some glossy eyed look apparently. And that's when my coach just said, well, we'll put you in left field. Not a lot of balls are gonna be hit out to you. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Because re remember at this time, people don't know a lot about head injuries. Yeah, did. we didn't have the training that, that we do now. No. And yeah. I mean, it, we barely even like got our ankles taped or anything mm -hmm. physical. So how could we know anything internally what was going on? So by that time, um, they realized that my demeanor was off. Um, I was losing my focus, kind of dazing off into places. And so after the game, my mom, who's a registered nurse and my coach pulled me off to the side and they were asking me, you know, do you know your name? Do you know what date it is? Do you know that just basic questions that I should have the answers to? I have no idea what I answered, but something that set off an alarm in their head that I should probably go to the hospital. And it was at that time where my mom's calling the doctors um, that she knows because she works at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, 20 to 30 minutes that I'm in the car, I fall asleep immediately. Couldn't stay up. And so I get to the hospital, um, apparently was hallucinating a little bit. And none of this I remember. And I fall asleep again. They rush me to some pediatric org of the hospital. I'm 16 at this point in time. 
remember I just been outed and like ridiculed all around my school for mm. being gay. Cause it, I'm a freak. And then now my parents are divorcing. I don't even know that I get to the hospital and from there, uh, they're running all different kinds of tests. And so apparently an ophthalmologist, so somebody that's studying your eyes had come in and flashed a light behind my eyes and I was having delayed signals. Um, and then there was also brain fluid behind my left eye. So the traumatic force was so strong that it knocked brain fluid from the right side of my head behind the left part of my eye. Oh my gosh. Wow. And the brain continued to swell and nothing at, when they're running you through tests, nothing was showing up yet at that point in time. And it wasn't until they did another MRI scan when I got put into an outpatient therapy that you start to see what they, they call uh, dead brain matter. So it looks like these dead spots, just, you know, let's say the whole brain looks dark and then there's a patch of lightness, which is just mm -hmm. showing the disparities between what's happening in your brain. So in essence, that's what had happened to me. Um, we had kind of chatted about this earlier, but the next day I wasn't speaking. I just was laying in the bed and apparently I started speaking Spanish. I don't remember it, but this is something that you know, people had told me that had happened. Um, I didn't know anybody. So all 16 years of my life had been completely wiped. Um, my mom stayed at my hospital bedside. Nobody knew at that point in time how severe this instance may have been. And um, it wasn't until, you know, my, my brothers, my dad, my sister, any family comes to the hospital. I don't know who they are. Mm. I had no idea who they were. I knew that my mom was somebody that was supposed to take care of me, but I didn't know she was my mom. Um, when I started to become more conscious, my speech was slurred. Um, they described me like that of a stroke victim. So um, my speech was slurred. The left side of my body just kind of was a little bit behind the right side of my body super, super sensitive to light to where I needed sunglasses in, in the hospital the whole time. Um, I didn't know basic things like how to tie my shoes or how to count to 10. And a lot of times what was so frustrating was that they would ask me things like, Hey, what's your pain on a scale of one to 10? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, how am I supposed to tell you what that feels like to me? Um, and I don't remember being in pain besides just having really severe headaches. Um, but my dad would come to the hospital and my parents are divorced at this time. So my dad would come to the hospital and he would walk me around the hallways um, super slow because my gait was kind of messed up and I have a slur on. I'm just like a big 16 year old baby and um, I have no idea who this guy is. And like in that video, it wasn't until a few days later and him showing up that things started to come back of, oh my gosh, this is my dad. This is who's taking me on walks every day. So I think, you know, if I was to look back on it, when you are totally humbled and your whole life is rocked and you're some star athlete or so like the world tells you you are. You should be, you know, you're on homecoming court. So you should be all these great things. But inside the amount of trauma I was dealing with from my parents' divorce, from being outed, not by my choice in an uncomfortable scenario that's high school. Yeah. And then now this head injury, not knowing anything. It was at that point in time where my parents start getting a bunch of phone calls from University of Arizona, from different people within the sports world, because the word just spread like wildfire. And at and this point, Chelsea, you had received an offer <laughs> from Coach Candrea, right? Yep. I had received a, a full ride scholarship from Coach Candrea, and I was supposed to be their starting shortstop um, as we're ranked number one in the nation when, when Shelby and I were coming in as freshmen. Mm -hmm. All that's gone along with my memories. I had no idea what was at stake. My parents were just worried about getting me through and they couldn't put me on the phone because A, I have the mentality of a two-year-old. B, I've got a slow um, slurred speech at this point in time. And I don't know who's on the other end of the line. Mm. 
so, you know, it wasn't until my official visit with coach Candrea, where you go and you sign your letter of intent and the whole thing. And coach pulls both my parents in the office and says, you know, no matter whether or not this girl plays one game for me, I will always pay for her education. And so all he cared about was for me to recover and get better. And it's been a long, long road to trying to feel like you're normal. And I still don't feel it all the time. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I guess I just bury myself in, uh, like when we were reading off the rap sheet from earlier, I don't think of myself as those things. I don't remember those things. Like I'm so focused and that might be part of this head injury is that I'm so focused on progressing to the next, to the next, to the next. So I can either forget all the bad stuff that happened um, or just, yeah, just forget that that was a part of me in some senses. Can you, can you talk us through, so you get to U of A, you're on the field, right? You're starting to play again. You're starting to recover. You're getting back in the game. Can you walk us through what that was like and how hard it was or kind of that journey? And the reason I ask you this is, is, and I actually didn't put two and two together until right now. I mean, I have an athlete who recently this fall took a line drive to the head in the dugout foul ball and it hit her cheek and pretty much crushed her cheek. It shattered her face to where now by the grace of God, she's fine, but 13 plates, something ridiculous, like 13 plates, four screws later, she had reconstructive surgery, but now she's actually just been released to start playing again. So her freak accident could have been incredibly worse than it was, but nonetheless, it still happened. And part of her return to bl- to play the first time she swung a bat we, we missed 50 percent, and I said kid this is normal okay mm-hmm. your body is still and then I remember this and, and I, I mean I've had seven knee surgeries right I remember what it was like for me my head and my brain expected everything to pick right back up but my feet would oh, yeah. respond right so yep. even though I was released from a knee surgery I wasn't 100 percent until like a year later so can can you talk us through what that recovery and that return to play was like for you? Yeah. Well, the one thing that you said that stuck with me and I live by it is mind body. Mm-hmm. So your mind leads everything that you do in your body. Yep. And so if there are certain parts of that that aren't working, then how could it send those signals? The synapses yeah. aren't firing the way that they used to. There's something blocking it or making it a little bit slower to where it's not being able to send the right signal. So your brain's trying to get there, your body might physically be there, but your brain's not. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question, like even trying to return to play in summer ball, I was a shortstop. They wouldn't let me hit. And then I would be in the outfield. I'm just trying to understand game reps and get your, your timing down. But there would be time, even with the best, most protective helmets after that, that I'd be wearing. If I took one shot to the head, it's immediately like I would get so sick and Mm want to throw up. Um, your head just pounds like nothing you've ever felt before. And then you're just sleepy. You're just tired. And it's like this overpowering feeling of, I can't keep my eyes open right now. You know, maybe if you get into like the Netflix binge hole and then (laughs) you're like, oh man, I'm so tired. I'm just going to fall asleep. It's almost that same feeling that replicates when you're just, your, your brain's so overworked and you're tired. And so I remember one of my good friends growing up on my team, her name was Tylen Wells and she played at Stanford. Her mom would travel to these tournaments because my parents couldn't afford it. So I was traveling down to LA in the car, six hours with my coach. And um, her mom, anytime this stuff would happen, her mom would just hold my head. And it was the pressure of her holding my head, which would make it feel so much better. But there were times when I'm like, it's scary. I don't want to get in the box. You know, you start getting in, into these mental games with yourself Mm -hmm. of like, I'm scared to do it, but we know in our sport, you can't be scared because the ball will always take a a bouncer or turn the wrong way. It it always finds the person that doesn't want it. And so if anything, it's like our game's (laughs) mentally, mentally tough as it is. How do you overcome that next obstacle of like wanting Mm -hmm. to put yourself back into that? So you touched on, you know, there's the physical pain aspect, but there's the fear and the Mm -hmm. frustration and all the emotions that come with a recovery like this, a return to play. So how did you work your way through those types of emotions? I got angry. 
a lot. Um, I, Allison, I feel like you're laughing because I'm you not can, laughing. You can, you, you, can, you, can, you can, you can, you can, you can understand. I get it. <laughs> yeah, like, I was, yeah, it's absolutely. so frustrating, right? Like you, yeah. you get so angry and rage is another side effect of these head injuries and you get mad and, but like, you can't verbalize it either because my mind was trying to say something, but my mouth literally couldn't catch up yeah. or you're feeling something in your head, but you, you truly can't find the words to express where you're at. So return to play for me, I was always pissed. Um, I was, it never felt like I was good enough to get back there. Um, and my body, like you said, my body's there and I'm physically fit, but like my mind is not doing what it wants me to do. So it was frustrating. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I had the support system of people around me and granted the world wasn't there at that point in time. So they didn't, people didn't know how to give, so I can't fault them for that, but it just was a bunch of trial and error of trying to figure out what, what feels good. And that's what saved me was to stop thinking and start feeling. And that's what I tell kids that I would always do lessons with even after college was you got to take your mind out of it and just get into how your body feels because that's what would release endorphins for me. That felt good when I can cut and feel fast. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like me mentally connecting something. It was me physically going out and doing it. Yeah. But almost essentially, though, you were mentally connecting, right? By not by yeah. disconnecting, right? The because feeling, you're actually thinking, alleviating yourself. You're letting it go so you can yeah. move forward um, in that sense. And, and that's that's what it takes to overcome. And I think, um, Chelsea, you hit, you were like, I don't know what drove me, but I have this drive now if it's to like forget or get, um, for me, experiencing something very similar as you have, um, it is almost, I need to be in front of this injury so -hmm. that I can keep moving forward. Cause if I let this get me, then everything behind me goes away. Right. That's so well said. Is it? Okay. Cause that's how I feel. It's not, (laughs) and there is this anger of drive that comes through me, um, from that. So I had a, I had a traumatic brain injury as well. And I took a bat to my face while I was coaching, um, which was, I have a big scar on my face. I was centimeters away from the temple and almost died. I was knocked out almost immediately. Um, my daughter witnessed the whole thing. Mm, um, so I still scary. have paralyzing effects on my face. Um, I have all the brain damage on the side, lost brain capacity. I understand what you're saying when your body has that, that memory, that kinesthetic memory of what to do and how to do it. But but your brain can't fire it to tell it what to do. And so your brain's, your body's trying to move forward and your brain's like, wait, hold on, wait, wait, what's going? And I kept falling mm-hmm. down. I couldn't talk. Same thing. Got Spanish back. And so that's how I see it. Is that Spanish. I'm, <laughs> Spanish back. So weird, I, don't think, my, I don't think Chelsea knew Spanish though. That was the other. <laughs> I think I took the most basic Spanish classes ever. Yeah. I don't that's even really know. That's really weird that we both had that saying. happen, right? Well, like, no, but everybody looked at me like a freak when that was happening. And I've never met anybody else that's gone through a traumatic brain injury that also has started speaking Spanish afterwards. That's crazy. So I, thank you for not making me feel no, crazy. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I've, I'm yeah. going to be attached to you. I lost my language. Um, I don't remember what happened. I remember mm-hmm. events leading up to it. Don't remember what happened. Um, I had the experience of people at the hospital with me and looking at them and not knowing who the hell, sorry, who they were. Um, I looked at my children. I knew they were mine. I didn't know how, and I, but I couldn't remember their names. Um, and then I started speaking Spanish first and then that went away. And then, but then I would call napkins, French fries, forks, pencils, everything was like all mixed up. And then I'm trying, then I got my recovery is in the middle of writing my PhD when it happened. Um, and so I had a team of a dissertation chair who just rallied around and got that finished for me. So I went from being the top performer in my class and being the first one to having it done to the very almost bottom, almost barely getting it done to graduate. Um, but I remember the first time I went to drive a car, I was released to drive. It was four months later. Um, barely could remember anything. And I was driving and I was coming into a roundabout. And my body knew what to do, but my brain couldn't fire. And I went up and over and in and landed in a ditch. And I'm like, no, oh my goodness. I'm done. I'm done. And back home sure. I went. And for six wow. months, my kids had to drive me around. So That's I understand so scary. like that. 
I don't understand like how to get back out onto the field, but that fear that comes from within is so mm-hmm. real. And, well, and how to stay in front of that fear inside is what motivates me. A couple of the things that you said really resonate with me. Um, one of them being like everything being crisscrossed. Um, and my family kind of laughed about it, but uh, like one thing that they always say is like D is for giraffe. So there were these, there were these like tater tots and letters. So I had to like get my ABCs back. So they thought if I just make you tater tots and the letters, we can practice like what is A for, what is B for, what is C for. When we got to D, it sounded, I, for me, I thought giraffe, but it's a giraffe. And so it's like, it was there, but it wasn't fully there. And then I remember when I got home and was discharged, um, couple of things. I didn't know where the silverware were and the Tupperware were like, everything was backwards. Mm-hmm. And then when, um, when I went to walk the dog, my mom wanted to see if I could just find my way around the neighborhood, just make four rights and you'll be back where you started. Well, they had to send out a search party because what does right mean to somebody that has gone through a head injury? You did like, it feels like a basic function, but that's what distress my brain was under is I couldn't even process that much. Um, And then the last thing that you said that really resonated with me was about getting in front of things. Yeah. You live in so much fear of things falling apart. And, And I'll take like the three, like, think about it. When you are in high school, those are really formative years and they're really, really hard years. And so for me, traumatic events that happened to me, I couldn't get in front of. Mm -hmm. So being outed, I couldn't get in front of. My ex-boyfriend at the time went through my voicemails. Who does that? Went through my voicemails and then told the whole school. I would get prank phone calls. Mm -hmm. I would get, you know, people um, posting me on random forums, which Babs knows all about too, um, making me to be some sort of disgusting villain. Couldn't get in front of it. Your parents split, your whole world comes crashing down, you lo- your dad loses everything. I couldn't get in front of it. Your head injury, I couldn't get in front of it. So now part of the things that like frustrate me about myself is that I'm constantly trying to get in front of things right. to a fault sometimes because other people, other situations, they might not be ready for you just to try and get in front of it. So you look like a control freak, you look crazy and nobody wants to hear about whatever happened to you because it's not that relatable. Like what, one of these things is relatable mm-hmm. to one person that can maybe go through all these things. It's just not. So a lot of times, like I, I feel lonely and I, you know, I, I don't know how to talk about it. And so I ignore it, which is probably the worst thing you can do. I immerse myself in sports. I immerse myself in achieving just to get in front of it and like, you know, overcompensate for that. Overcompensation. Yeah. yeah. For that. Yeah. For that terrible spot in your life. And here I am almost 30 and now oh, having you muted yourself, Charles. There you go. <laughs> oh, here I am almost 30 having to reckon with it. And hey. it's freaking hard. It is. And, and let, I mean, when I coach young girl, female athletes and playing, I mean, some of the things you're talking about getting, um, that social circle, not feeling fit in. Those are all things that come in all the time. I I'm a high performer, but I don't fit on the team or I don't feel like this is the team because of this, or I'm at school, school and I'm, there's all of that ostracization exactly. that happens. And then you throw in a brain, a, you know, a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. on top of it. And it's, it's exacerbated. Right. Mm-hmm. And so everything you're saying is normal, but then taken to not a hundred, but like a millionth, Right. And absolutely. And so just, this, just this could regularly. be a 10 part series. Yeah. Exactly. And, right here. and I, there's a lot of tools I'd love to share yeah. you. We'll go offline, Chelsea, and we can Would love that. Have, some things, yeah. have some things um, because that cognitive reconstruction um, is so not difficult, but it, but it is absolutely imperative. And it's where some of the tools, like even how do we deal with the pressure and the stress of anything? And then Mm -hmm. when you have all these layers that start exacerbating it, like how, how do I handle all of this? And that's the topic. And that's why Shelby said you were like the, the come on and talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the point. So to to tie this back, Chelsea, you're now we're talking to any female athlete that's a middle school or high school that is mm-hmm. going through any 
difficult situation, right? Yep. What advice, what can you tell them taking everything that you've learned from your journey, what you've lived, what you live every day into the young ladies that are listening right now, or even not even the young ladies, maybe moms, right? What can you give them to help them through their journey? What advice do you have for them to walk through managing, you know, you get to your boiling point, right? We all know when we're getting to that point where we're going to snap, we're going to explode. How do we recognize that? What do we do with it? The feelings Mm -hmm. of fear, how to handle pressures, expectations, right? All of that. What do they do with this? Yeah. Wow. I mean, probably advice I should be taking, but I don't get it right a lot of the time. And this is something our college coach taught us was one control the controllables, your attitude, your effort, and your focus. My attitude, how am I going to respond to the situation? And am I going to be half glass full, half glass empty? I wish that I was better at controlling my own controllables. The human part of me acts up a lot of times, but that's one part, your attitude. The second one is your effort. Um, not all situations are worth your effort. So where do you want to place it? And then um, attitude, effort. And then the last one's focus, like focusing on yourself. And as much as that can be said, hey, you're selfish, you have to make yourself okay first before you can take care of others. So if it's to a young girl, if you are not operating as your best self, then how can you be the best daughter, sister, friend, teammate, classmate, unit, insert thing here. So that's the one big thing is controlling the controllables. I'd say the other thing is um, trying to discover who you are. And that's one of the hardest things to do because we're all still doing it, even as adults, but finding things that make you happy and things can be activities. So I would urge them, you know, take time off of your phone, at least 20 to 30 minutes a day and go for a walk. And when you're on your walk, try to observe different things that you can maybe find beauty in. So Mm -hmm. the leaves changing color, walking past the fountain and hearing the water, because a lot of times our phones mute out our emotions and how we process things, which just leads us down to a hole of, I don't have enough. Life isn't good enough. I'm not grateful enough. And so, you know, when I walk my dog, I don't take my phone with me. I took her for a hike yesterday. I don't, I don't answer my phone. That's the big thing. Mm. Um, so I'll have it for emergencies, but I won't answer it. And so it's those moments of being present because then that's when you're able to actually start to formulate what it is around you that you love, that you're grateful for. So everybody says, Hey, practice gratitude. But like, how do you do that? It actually Mm -hmm. puts you in that present moment of, okay, this is cool. Or like, I feel alive because a lot of times you sit there scrolling, comparing yourself to others and you don't feel alive. Well, and you just hit it right there. I mean, we talk about the title of this episode is stress, pressure, anxiety, how much of that is generated from what we see unrealistic and false expectations of comparison to what we see on social media. Right. And, and it's, as we were talking, you know, before this, I actually challenged my athletes yesterday who were in lessons. I said, do not touch your phone. I'm going to, I'm going to see if you can challenge this because three of them come together. Right. So one will hit for an hour. Then the other one will hit. So they have two hours of downtime. And I said, don't even look at your phone. And it was hard. It was like an addict trying to reach for the phone. Like, no, 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 I can't do it. And it was really hard. So we look at, okay, well, we talk about what is our boiling point and where does the stress and this pressure and anxiety comes from? Well, how much of it are we feeding ourselves from what we're doing with our phones? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I even saw on the, the local news channel this morning and that's the other thing, just trying to limit your news intake <laughs> lesson. There's a, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there was a, um, a guy that was brought on his name's Ryan Flaherty to Nike and he did all the, the trained podcasts. And so one thing that he gave advice to, to us in corporate America is limit that intake to 15 minutes, not to be ignorant, but for your own mental health and your own sanity, because a lot of times you get in those rabbit holes and then it just can be unbearable. And we don't realize the long lasting implications of that on our own health. You know, we just become what we see. And on the local news this morning, they were saying, make sure you take mental health breaks. And it's something that we never had to think about because we weren't so attached to our phones. But nowadays it's something we proactively have to think about. Yeah. 
No, yeah. that's absolutely. I, after I had my kids, my babies, and it was not long after I had my babies, I would watch the news and find myself getting either emotional or fearful or angry. And at that point mm-hmm. I had to, I had to stop watching the news mm-hmm. because of that. I mean, it's amazing, obviously what happens after you have kids, but I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> but you know, I, I find myself and I don't know if you ladies do the same thing, but if you're ever just, you know, existing, right. And you feel all wadded up inside and you go, why am I mad? What am I mad at? Like what, what is happening? Why am I mad? Okay. Well, it's something I saw while scrolling on social media that somebody posted and I'm like, are we serious right now? What am I yeah. doing? Yeah. And think about it on the contrary, right? So like you're, you're intaking something, whether you're seeing a video and somebody's talking or a picture, mm-hmm. it can make you feel very negative, but also on the other side, it, those things can also make you re- feel really positive. You know, yeah. if I see yeah. a video of puppies, instant dopamine, I'm so happy. And then the next thing you scroll down to is some like insert trigger here and yeah. it automatically flips it the other way. So back to control the controllables, mm-hmm. yep. That's where one. are you putting your, your, your attitude, your, yeah, your effort and your focus yeah. into, is that worth my time right now? So yeah. and, go ahead. And you get, and you get to choose how you feel about what you look at too, right? Like control the controllables. It's how you act to it and, or how mm-hmm. you react to it and mm-hmm how you want to choose to take it as well. So I think that's huge as well. And in that moment, right. So I want to tie back to your feeling of anger on your road to recovery. Right. So, and and I tell everybody that I was wired to be a hothead. I mean, that was when I played and and even in present day, (laughs) So even in present day, right. Like I, if I get triggered like that, that anger is the first thing, the adrenaline rush. Right. And so how to get your arms around that, what do we do with that? And so we talk about your boiling point right? When that water starts to, it goes from just, you know, starting to kind of simmer a little bit to full-fledged oh, boil. And, and that full-fledged boil for me is like, I've lost my temper. I've lost control. And mm-hmm. coupling that with coming back from an injury and the frustration and the anger that you get with that, right? How to control those emotions. And for athletes or moms, dads, I mean, let's, you know, full transparency are here, right? During COVID, it was hard for everybody. So me mm-hmm. as a mom and an entrepreneur, I mean, I've got a four and a five-year-old and all that comes with that <laughs> and this, this, everything that we're getting intake from COVID, the fear, all of it. Right. I found myself at a point where my five-year-old did something trying to get ready for school. And I just like, I got so angry and I yelled at her. And then after that, the guilt that I felt and just tears that came and by the grace of God, one of my best friends is my primary care provider. And mm-hmm. I texted him and I was like, buddy, can you get me in today? And he goes, what's up? And I said, I can't do this by myself anymore. I need some help. That's and so big. the fact that he knows me, right. And I went in and I saw him and he, he put me on 10 milligrams of an anti-anxiety. So I don't feel that ready to explode moment. I can breathe. So the ability to one, ask for help and know when you're mm-hmm. getting ready to boil over and give yeah. yourself grace in a really hard moment, knowing that this is a really hard moment and it's okay to feel the way I do, but I've got to control. I've got to get my arms around the, what I'm feeling right now and back it down. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's super important. Sorry, Allie. Okay, go. <laughs> do you want to go or me? No, you go. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's super important too. I remember circling back to college um, suites and I mean, you going through a difficult time or me going through a difficult time. I remember us going to sauce and just kind of like hashing it out. Um, and I, like I remember an amazing place, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Super good. Um, but yeah, Very I just good. remember like hashing it out with each other. And I think it's just so important to be able to talk and let your feelings out as well when you are going through it. So kudos to you, Ashley, for being able to be yeah. like, Hey, I need help here. I think, And, and that was I really mean, hard for me to do. I mean, I'm a pretty prideful person. And yeah. so to be able to reach out and, I know, for help yeah. and break that stigma, like that was hard for me, but I feel like almost when I did it, Oh my gosh. I feel like I could talk about it. I felt better. And I was like, Whoa, I'm not, (laughs) you mean, you know, know, tying back to you, Chelsea and I, and the courage that it takes one for you to have this conversation and to share your story. But when you were outed, you felt like a freak or people made you feel like a freak, not being able to talk about it. I I can't imagine how hard that was for you, but do you feel like now you have, I mean, obviously now you're on a podcast talking about it, the courage to share your story that it's easier to talk about. Yeah. I mean, it it is a lot easier to talk about and like back to you first is that's big time. And I think a lot of times we're a product of our environment and, uh, and, you know, we get smarter every day with more knowledge that we get. And I can relate to you in the sense that, 
Um, you know, I grew up in kind of a machismo, figure it out, you'll be fine, get better, tough love situation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it's, it's like you said, stigmatized yeah. um, to go get help or you are some, you know, you're different or there's something wrong with you when it's not. It's like, you know, you take your car to get an oil and filter change. You could take care of your car as much as you want, but sometimes shit breaks. So yeah. Yep. It's fine. Just figure it out um, and go and, get help. And give so, yourself grace to go. Yes. I'm okay. This is okay. It's real. And, but how am I going to respond to this situation? Yeah. That's where mm-hmm. your choice is. That's where that control the controllables comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. And I think back to your question about being outed, does it get easier to talk about? It has. Um, I'm still, you know, right now I'm, whenever I go somewhere, people know my sexuality now. I, I don't try and hide it. I'm not going to be in your face about it and putting rainbows all over my Instagram, but I'm definitely not going to hide it. Yeah. And I would say it was a progression because when I was outed, not only was I outed in such an awful way where there's probably thing, I can't even say things on this podcast that people were saying to me mm-hmm. and the assumptions they were putting on me and how uncomfortable I felt. Yeah. There were often times I didn't think I was going to make it through, you know, you're like, what is the point? The world's not going to change. I'm not, you know, nobody in my family can relate. I have. Yeah. So, and then when I was in college, even my freshman year, it wasn't something that I talked about. And I even tried to overcompensate and try and be straight and talk to guys. And like Babs knows this, we were roommates. And so it got to the point where I was put on this website called the dirty and oh the claims from, I was friends with all the, all the guys. Cause I'm a jock and I'm a tomboy, but people didn't know really at that time that like I was gay, gay. And so I was put on this, this website that basically you posted pictures of people. And then you just said the worst things about them. And they took a picture from my, my senior prom of me and a party bus that we were all on that had a stripper pole in the back. So of course, as 18 year olds, what are you gonna do? You're going to grab it, like hold it and take a picture with it. Well, they used that picture. They used another picture of me and like a little cami that I was in from Hawaii, but they cut out the bottom of it. So it looked like I was in a bra taking risque pictures and then they put me on there and said that basically I sleep with these guys and you know my body count is large and all this stuff and it was so false and so that's the point where I broke down the babs Mm -hmm. and I ended up having to tell her like this is not only the only thing that's happening like the hits keep coming but like I'm also gay so it's so not true but nobody tells you how to deal with those things right and And I would even say now, like when I went to Nike, my close friends knew, my family knew. Um, When I came out, I didn't get a chance to come out to either of my parents. When my dad found out, he caught me sneaking out with a girlfriend. I popped out the front window and hopped out of it. He calls me. I'm down the street in her car. I come back. Of course, I lie because I'm trying to get ahead of it. And he he was not the best at taking it. You know, he told me, I still want grandkids because how could you have grandkids if you're gay? You know, Oh my goodness. And then he said things like, you know, I'd rather you marry a goat and like, I won't, we won't tell anybody right now. And it just, my dad's come a long way since then, but like that still stays with you, you know? And then my, my mom, uh, my mom knocked on the car window while I was outside with my girlfriend in her, in her car. And that's pretty startling too. And my mom was more accepting and graceful about it. But the things that you have to deal with from another partner's family, I was ostracized in the softball community. I didn't get an offer from Cal softball. I got offers from everywhere else. Schools bigger than Cal. Cal wouldn't offer me because um, I was the reason that apparently she was gay or as told by her parents, her, you know, this girl's parents uh, put a tracking device on her car, cameras all around the house locked her phone from talking to anybody except for the boyfriend they wanted her to date and her parents. So there were times where like people don't understand like the lengths that you had to go to just try and be you, whether it was giving a bag with $5 worth of quarters so she could call me from a payphone because Mm -hmm. there's a tracking device on her car to dropping notes at a tournament as we're passing by each other and acting like we don't know each other. Um, it's just stuff like that that you go through. And then now in like my, 
my professional life, when I first started working at Nike, you come back from your weekends on a Monday and not that people are intentionally trying to be exclusive, but I don't think people realize the weight of their words matter. And so you say, hey, what did you do this weekend? Well, a man, I'm with my wife and my kids. Okay, must be easy. Very heteronormative. And then for me, it's like, even just by you saying I was with my partner, it makes me feel a little bit more safe as to who I can say I was with. Right. Because mm-hmm. when my partner that I'm with now would come up to Portland, I wouldn't tell anybody. I was so fearful of losing relationships or in corporate America being judged by who you date instead of where your heart and your mind is and what kind of work you do. And so I was constantly covering is what they call it. And now once I started working for Instagram, I truly said, F it. You guys are all going to know and you're going to know up front and whether or not, you know, you can choose how you want to react to this, but I'm good enough to be here because I got the job. So my sexuality shouldn't matter. Chelsea, it's so obvious you've had so many stressors all at once and you've overcome them and you have touched on so many um, ways that you've moved through them um, and beautifully, and yet you're still working through them and we all have stressors, right? There's like just whether you played the game and you've graduated, the stress of that game, the skill sets that you learned in the game, you've been able to move forward and take with you as um, to help relieve stress and move in. We all have them um, mm-hmm. and you've, you're moving through them beautifully. And I'm really proud of you. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's not easy. And then to have the traumatic brain injury on top, you know, it's all those layers. I was talking to my son earlier and he used the analogy of Shrek. Um, an ogre, like it's mm-hmm. complex and it's not as like what it seems. And that's oh, the onions. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like he has that vibe. Yes. It's like, yeah, an ogre. Yeah, that's, that's what it sounds yeah. like. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so to kind of just recap um, and kind of put some terminology around what we were talking about and stressing today. Um, I use the words beware, change, reduce, and focus. So be aware of who you are. And Chelsea, you are doing that so beautifully. You know who you are. And actually, even like when you talked about your your cap, like I'm here, I need help. Mm -hmm. Be aware of who you are in accordance to um, yourself, the community in which you're living, the job that you're doing. If you start to feel that pressure, be aware of it, right? If you're really, really feeling really great about yourself, Take time to be aware of what's making you feel great. It doesn't have to always be a bad thing because if you know what's good also, then you can feel, we've been talking about that pie. You can fill up, keep that pie filled with what feels good so that when the stress does come, how can I start to feel good? So I always teach, be aware of who you are. And remember, you are the only one that can make that change. You, you, not not anybody else. Somebody might share a story and it impacts you, but that impact will only go so long if you don't take charge of who you are. And whatever that change needs to be for you, you need to make it. And there's a whole bunch of things behind these words that I'm giving you in which we can, you can learn how to make the change, right? Um, and reduce the shoulds from the shouldn'ts. And I always teach, how does this benefit me? How does this benefit me? Not my friends, not my team, but me, and that could, that could go out into your team or it could go out into your career or it could go into my children or whatever it is inside your pie. But that very first coming back to you, mm-hmm. how does this benefit me? Is this going to benefit me? Before I start doing the shoulds or the shouldn'ts, look at the benefit that comes to you personally. And then always, always, always focus on that positive. And Chelsea, you've done a beautiful job of that. And we talked offline before we started recording about that. And then you, that theme definitely came through is how am I going to persevere? How am I going to find the positive? And it comes down to rewiring and refocusing and redoing a lot of re-imaging meditation and all that work. So just remember when you're feeling stressed, beware, change, reduce, and focus, beware, change, reduce, and focus. And that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing advice, Dr. Ali. You know, we, when we were putting together this project, the behind the dish podcast, we said, this is a conversation with a greater purpose. Yeah. Right. And when I, when I started coaching again, and I've told you ladies, a story that I tell all my athletes, if nothing else, if I don't teach you anything else, my goal in life is that at the end of the day, you love who you see staring back at the mirror. Yes. And there are so many young ladies. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, if you're out of college, life is hard. And the world is hard right now. 
and, and you're not alone with whatever you're going through, whether it's bullying, whether it's your sexuality, uh, whatever it is, right. You're not alone. So I encourage you to find your people who you can talk to somebody. And if you don't have somebody, you, you reach out to us, reach out to us, right. You message us and we will talk to you because find those people that you can talk to, to offload that stress, to offload that pressure, because you're beautiful just the way you are. You are enough just the way you are. And I hope each and every one of you are listening to my words. And I want you to tell yourself that over and over and over and over. You are perfect. You're perfectly made just the way you are. Yeah. And you don't change who that is for anybody. And you don't go through life trying to please anybody else. Because at the end of the day, it's who it's, if you love who's staring back at the mirror, that's the only thing that matters. Absolutely. So Amen, uh, sister. Chelsea, I can't thank you enough for having the courage and being willing to come on this podcast and share your story. It's, I I can't imagine how hard the journey was through all of it. I mean, it's, it's still something that you're navigating through. I can hear it and I can see it in your voice. (laughs) So thank you for having the courage to share that. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much, Chelsea. There are listeners and and girls that may be walking in your footsteps for different pieces of, of your story that, that can take some strength in that, some guidance in that. Um, so, oh my gosh, my, my heart is thank you. Gratitude for you for it's being here full. and sharing. Yeah, that. Thank That's you so much. Thing. Well, as I always, appreciate you. Thank to, you. absolutely to our listeners. Um, thank you for being with us. Thank you for letting us into your days. Thank you for listening to what we all have to say. And I hope that you were able to take some parts of Chelsea's story and what we were able to share uh, to help you with, with some struggles that you're going through, whether it's an injury, whether it's traumatic events in your life, so, uh, you know, don't hesitate. Like I said, if you don't have anyone to talk to, reach out to us. Absolutely. We got, you. We got your back. Okay. Um, <laughs> please follow us on social media at behind the dish SB and check out our website behind the dish dot us for future episodes. But I'm excited for you to latch on to this, Chelsea. I feel like we need a 10 part series. with you. Uh, We do. We need a <laughs> yeah. I have like four different segments that I want to bring her back on and just talk to her. <laughs> Let's do it. And seriously, you, you guys were, you guys were like my personal therapist today. This came at a, at a really good time because I think, you know, especially after the holidays, you start realizing when you're immersing yourself with family, there's a lot of triggers there that you haven't been able to unpack. And so, uh, I've been going through it personally, just reliving a lot of those things and not being able to make sense of it. And even just talking about some of this stuff with you guys has helped. Help. So thank you. Well, this oh, conversation's awesome. not Me over. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah girl. Good. Listen, yeah, 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 I have something else for you. We are now all instant BFFs. So I'm excited. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So uh, as do always, you guys take Kaiser or just kidding? <laughs> 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 if I, I find, um, Starbucks, Ziggy's, yes, yeah. Ziggy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all that. Great. I just Great. appreciate good conversation. So I'm Absolutely. here for you. Me too. Me too. Love it. To our listeners, uh, go make today a great day. And again, thank you for letting us into your lives today. Have a great day. All right. See you later, guys. Bye, everybody. Talk soon. Thank you for spending your time with us today. We appreciate the opportunity to get to share our experiences and knowledge with you. If you haven't had a chance yet, please hit that subscribe button so you can tune in on future episodes. And be sure to follow us on social media at Behind the Dish SB for future episode information and guests. Make it a great day. 